Welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Beth Kuchenberger, and I just want to take this opportunity to reintroduce myself to you. The last couple times I've been up here on stage, I've told you about this word that's become kind of an anthem for me. I was thinking about this word when I got a call this week from your trustees. The truth of the matter is I have such affection for this community and for this church body. So when they called to let me know about this opportunity, I was remembering a word I have taught you before. This Hebrew word, heneni, is translated in English as here I am. We'll find it eight times in our Bibles. It's, this, it's the word that Moses says to the Lord when he calls on him in front of the burning bush. It's the word that Abraham responds to the Lord when, he, when the Lord calls to him. He's on his way up a mountain in Genesis 22 about to sacrifice his son. It's, it's the response of a child of God. When, when, when God calls on us, our response should be, here I am. But that word in Hebrew means a little bit more than here I am. It, it's probably better translated as, whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. So this week when I got that phone call, my response to them was, Heneni, whatever it is God's asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. And it is my privilege to be here in this place with you at this time in in this body. I know um, this is a family matter and families are, are messy and I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that you're hurting. There's nobody that wants you to hurt. The trustees don't want you to hurt. The staff doesn't want you to hurt. I don't want you to hurt. Rob doesn't want you to hurt. Nobody, nobody wants you to hurt. And I value things like transparency and authenticity. So I wanna be as honest with you as possible. Here's the real real truth. People are doing the best that they can. And inevitably, no one is perfect. And you might get let down some in this process. I was thinking about how We live in a world these days where we know more than we should because of the internet and social media. Like I know what the inside of people's houses look like. I have no business knowing what their inside of their houses look like. We we have access to information that we shouldn't have because because of our online lives. And so we sometimes get an appetite or get used to thinking that I need to know everything before I decide how I'm gonna feel or think or act. And the truth of the matter is we we don't have to know all the facts to know that We have to trust that God is always in control. And that's what I'm primarily asking you to trust um, this weekend, just that God's in control of all the comings and goings of our lives and your lives in this church life. In my world at Back to Back Ministries, which if I haven't met you yet, I'll, I'll tell you more about that. That's the world with which we work with orphaned and vulnerable children. We talk a lot about trauma and we're going through a trauma. Actually, the whole world is going through a trauma right now. However it is that you're managing the COVID-19 crisis, it's, it's already hard. And now you have this additional thing that you're having to hold on to and wrestle through, the loss of the pastor of your church. And I just want to acknowledge that that's hard. But here's what we talk about in our trauma training. There are things that happen in life that we don't like and we can't control. And if we can't figure out how to get around things that we don't like and can't control, we get stuck in that spot. And the very last thing I want you to do is feel stuck because of the story. I don't want you to feel stuck. And even worse yet, I don't really want you to sin because of it. 
There's no place in the body for that. For some of you, you've been processing this information for the last couple of days. For some of you, maybe this is the first that you're hearing about it, but wherever you are in this story, I just, again, want to tell you that with affection, we're, I, feel, I feel it. I feel what you're feeling. I'm sorry that you're feeling it that way. I, I, I told the staff this week that the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I think there's more ands than ors. You know, we think sometimes in life like things are good or they're bad, they're hard or they're easy, but there's really actually space for things to be both good and hard, for them to be both uh, sad and hopeful that the more we can make room and allow some of those emotions to lay up there right next to each other, the healthier we're gonna be because this is an opportunity for us all to grow and mature no matter, no matter how you feel about COVID-19 or this news that the church is experiencing. I, I'm imagining you, I wish I could see you and feel you here, but I'm imagining you as having some big feelings. Trust me, I've had some big feelings this week too. And the world, they tell us things like, listen to your heart, follow your heart. But my heart, I don't, my heart can feel all kinds of things in the same hour. I cannot follow my heart. That's why the Bible, and the Lord knows that. He made us, and he tells us in his Bible things like, set your mind on things above, and renew your thinking, and take every thought captive. Because he understood if we get our head in the right place, our heart will submit to it. And so my, just my plea with you is, Come with me into the word of God. Let's get our head set on the things above. Let's take all those thoughts captive that are taking us down the wrong paths. Let's renew our thinking. Let's, let's get in those places. I, I, I was involved in Young Life in high school. And I remember one night coming home from a club and I was all excited about what had happened in the club and I was telling my mom and dad about it. And I remember my dad said to me, oh, I hope that you are talking to God as much as you are talking about him these days. And that, that thought was in my mind a little bit this week. I was thinking to myself, I hope as a body, we are talking to God about this news as much as we're talking about this news. I mean, at, at least before we should be talking to God before we talk about this news. I, 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 there is no place in the body of God. In God's family, there's no place for things like judgment and gossip. We get to live a different way because we've been born again. We've been given a supernatural nature and that means we don't have to fall to some of that sin that might tempt us. I might be tempted to judge, I might be tempted to, to gossip, but I don't have to do that anymore because I have set my mind in heavenly places. I have given my life over to the one who is never changing. In Jeremiah 15, 19, we might talk about this on another Sunday, but in Jeremiah 15, 19, the NASB version says that when we extract the precious from the worthless, we get to be God's spokesman. And I've been thinking about that a lot this week. What's going on around the world feels really worthless. It's so terrible what's happening. But we get to look like Christ followers. We get to look like God's kids when we take from all of that worthless his precious. And that's really, that has been my prayer for you all day today, all weekend this weekend, all in the holy week we're about to experience. May we find precious inside of that worthless Pretty much every time I've gotten on this stage, to be honest, I've talked to you about stories of things like reconciliation and restoration and redemption and rescue repair. Like th those are God's storylines. 
And the reason we get to talk about stories of reconciliation and redemption and, and rescue and repair, the whole reason we get to talk about those is because of the week we're gonna experience right now. Because of what God did between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we can talk all the other 51 weeks of the year with hope about what it is that he has done, is doing, and will still yet do. Palm Sunday, you know the Palm Sunday story, you'll find it in Matthew 21. It's the story where Jesus is on a donkey and lined up along the road were the Jews who finally believed he was the king of the Jews. They had been believing Herod was the king of the Jews. That's what he said. Finally, at the end of Jesus' ministry, they said, okay, you are the king of the Jews. And they lined up on this road and they waved at him palm branches. And they said one word over and over again. They said the word Hosanna. And I kind of grew up thinking Hosanna was a little bit like hallelujah, like we could say them like about the same. But Hosanna in its root meaning is a little bit more like save me, deliver me. It's a, it's a war cry. And as those folks were lined up waving their palm branches at Jesus, they were saying, save us from the one who said he was the king of the Jews. You, we believe you are the king of the Jews. You are our king. Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and Jesus was going down that path. And if the geography, imagine this with me just in your mind's eye. There's like a hill he was going down and then he kind of dipped into something called the Kidron Valley, and then he would go up to Jerusalem, which was called the city on a hill, and there's a great big wall around that city on the hill. And around that wall, you would enter into that city through a gate, depending on who you were. There was a giant gate in the front of the city that was called the King's Gate. That's where Herod, of course, would enter in. There were different gates depending on your faithfulness or your cleanliness, and then there was this little gate um, I stood up against it, and I'm five foot four, and it was, I was taller than it. It's a short little gate, a door that was called the sheep gate. And that's where three times a year, sheep would enter into that gate to be sacrificed as part of three different Jewish festivals. And you'll read different things that'll tell you how many sheep were walking through the sheep gate the week of Passover that Jesus died. At, at the minimum, there were thousands. So just... Again, imagine with me for a minute the scene, Jesus going down the hill, the palm branches waving, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, deliver us, be the king that we want you to be. Jesus is going down. It doesn't tell us in our Bible how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. We could imagine, just for the sake of our imagination, that those people calling him king were lined up for him to enter into the king gate, but I don't think he entered in through the king gate because I think we would have read about it in our Bibles. And I don't think Herod would have let him do it anyway. So just imagine with me for a minute. A line of sheep as far as your eye could see, thousands of sheep going through the sheep gate. Sheep, 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 sheep. You know where I think Jesus went? I think the Lamb of God went through the sheep gate. Sheep, 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 Lamb of God. A little bit later in the afternoon after we saw the sheep gate, we went over to this area where there was this Greek and Roman ruin and I couldn't stop taking pictures of everything I saw. I had my iPhone out. Those people were impressive. Their architecture was impressive. They had giant bathhouses and giant libraries and giant coliseums and giant schools and giant roads that had giant chariots that passed themselves on their giant ways to go everywhere they went. And I kept taking pictures saying to my husband, Todd, like, can you believe it? These people didn't even have the internet. They did not have scientific calculator. These buildings, some of these buildings are still standing. I cannot believe it. I was just like taking pictures everywhere I could. And then I learned it was on those streets that Jesus said these words, wide is the road that leads to destruction. You wanna be impressed with what man does? It'll lead to your destruction. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, but what? Narrow is the gate. 
that leads to everlasting life. You wanna be one of my kids, God says, you're gonna go through the sheep gate. We're not gonna go overthrow the king. We're gonna go and lay our life down. We're gonna go and sacrifice on behalf of other people. And the story of Jesus going through the sheep gate, that thing started, I mean, of course, before the beginning of time, but go with me all the way back to Genesis 15. Genesis 15, God's talking to one of our patriarchs, Abraham, and he tells him, you have two promises. I'll give you as many descendants as stars in the sky and the land in which they're gonna dwell. And wanting to make sure that Abraham had enough faith to believe that which God had promised him, he said, I'm gonna seal something with you. I'm gonna seal something in a blood path covenant. So read this story in Genesis 15. He tells him to go get seven animals and split them apart, except for the birds. There's like a bloody river between those split carcasses. And that would have been familiar to Abraham because people were doing blood pact covenants in those days over things like cattle or women or war. When a blood pact covenant happened, two parties would agree on something, then they'd walk through that bloody river announcing to everybody watching, if I break my end of this deal, I'll pay the price with my blood. So when the Lord told Abraham, I'm gonna seal my two promises to you in a blood path covenant. Go get these animals, split them in half. If I were Abraham, doesn't say this in your Bible, if I were Abraham, I'd be thinking to myself, I know how I'm gonna walk through this because I can see my own feet. I can't see you. I wonder how God is gonna go through a blood path covenant with me. But the Lord in his mercy knew that Abraham and all his descendants, of which we are, would not be able to keep a perfect covenant with a perfect God. So he put Abraham to sleep which we should start paying attention at that point because the last time the Lord put somebody to a sleep, out came a woman, right? That's Adam and Eve. He put Abraham to sleep and then he walked through that blood path covenant on behalf of himself, I am God and I will keep my commitment to you, my promises forevermore. And I'll walk through this on behalf of you and your descendants and if you don't keep your covenant, I'll pay the price with my blood. The decision to go through the sheep gate, the decision to be the lamb of God who would lay his life down for us in this very week started all the way back then. And you can read the story and see that he went through representing himself as a fire pot. You know what a fire pot is? They would use these, like, imagine you have fire in your, like, hut. At the end of the day, you can't have the fire going all night long. It would be a danger. So as the fire would die out, they would take the coals from that day and they would stick them in a fire pot that would stay hot. And then the next day, they would get fresh kindling and put it out for tomorrow's, the next day's fire. They would use the ashes from yesterday, those hot coals in that fire pot, pour them on the new fire and out would come a fresh wind, a fresh fire. He represented himself as a fire pot. It's why you'll read twice in your Bible when it says, if your enemy is hungry, you give him something to eat. And if he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And in doing so, you do what? You heap burning coals on his head. You literally pour my presence on him because that's not the way the world works. You wanna be like my kids? You wanna look like me and my family? We're gonna pour my presence over people who aren't expecting it and don't deserve it. Ever since that happened in Genesis 15, whoever was in charge of the altar would take the blood of that day's sacrificed animal and he would splash it on the altar at nine o'clock in the morning and at three o'clock in the afternoon. And they would blow this instrument called a shofar. It's kind of like a giant trumpet. And whenever you, wherever you were, when you heard the shofar blew, it was like your moment to remember, I have a perfect covenant with a perfect God and he keeps his promises. So if you go with me to this week we're about to walk into, this holy, this holy week, 
on Friday, Crucifixion Friday. If you read your Bibles, think Luke 23, go, you're at home, look it up. The Jewish day starts at sundown the night before, but you do all the math, Jesus was nailed to the cross at nine o'clock in the morning. When the, the moment that first shofar blew, Jesus was nailed to the cross. You know how long he held up on that cross? This doesn't even make any sense. If I was Jesus, I'd be hanging up there like 11.30, I would say, let me down. I'll still resurrect myself in three days. I'll still conquer all sin and death. I'm not staying up here any longer. This is hard. This hurts. But Jesus, he hung on that cross until the three o'clock shofar blew because you know what? We serve a God who was always perfectly on time. And if I ever shake my fist at God, I'm just gonna be honest with you. If I ever get like, oh Lord, it's usually about issues of timing. Like something's happened faster than I want it to or something's happening not as fast as I want it to. But I'm telling you, Vineyard family, we can trust that God is always perfectly on time. And if he is writing a story, we can trust him in it. This week, as I began to think about what it is we would talk about on this um, Palm Sunday weekend, I kept thinking, I had this like itch in my brain. I was like, I know there's someplace else in the Bible where we wave palm trees, where palm trees are waved besides the story of the donkey and Jesus going in the week before he was to be crucified. And I found it in Revelation chapter seven. It says this, after this I looked, this is John. By the way, Revelation is written by John. He's, he has a vision of that which is yet to come. And he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From where? Every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. So again, use your imagination. What will that look like one day? Standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And then all the angels. They were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying this, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then they would say, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the cry of our hearts. I talked to you a minute about hallelujah a second ago, right? I thought Hosanna and hallelujah meant the same thing. I looked up hallelujah. Hallelujah is really two words together. The first part comes from the Hebrew word hallel. That means to make a loud noise, to be foolish, to be clamorous. The second part comes from Yahweh. That's the name that the Lord gave himself when Moses had the courage to ask him in Exodus chapter three. So who do I say it is that sent me? And God says, Yahweh, I am. When we say hallelujah, we raise, we make a loud noise, we celebrate, we're foolish and clamorous about the one who always is and always will be. That's what hallelujah is. When we can say hallelujah when we, when we like everything that's going on and we can say hallelujah when we don't like everything that's going on. It's the praise that comes off of our lips that, that sets us apart, that says you're a part of this, this God family. Todd and I had a woman that lived with us. Um, we lived in Mexico, if I haven't met you yet, uh, for 15 years and we had a woman that lived with us in Mexico. She was an orphan and then a widow and she was kind of like our Mexican grandma for our children. Um, 
she, you know, she like made them food when I said they can't have any more and you know, those kind of spoiled them rotten. And then when we moved to Cincinnati a couple of years ago, she would spend six months of the year here with us and six months in Mexico. And last Mother's Day, I called her just to say Happy Mother's Day. It was during the months that she was in Mexico. And she had a cough that I noticed wasn't, it was just, it was too much. And I said, that sounds like, like, like that sounds rough. And as I called on her um, over the course of the next few months, I, that cough wasn't getting better. In fact, it was getting worse. So we decided to bring her here to Cincinnati in July to help her get medical care that we could supervise. And almost immediately, she was diagnosed with an inf a lung infection. And from when she arrived here in July until the week that she passed in October, she was hospitalized three times. The last week that she was hospitalized, the doctor came in the... Um, room to tell us on a Tuesday that the battle we had been fighting for her life and with her for her life that we were losing and he didn't know how long she had but he just wanted us to know that he didn't think we would turn it around. So that night Todd and I sat with her at her bedside and I said, you know how you always worship? She's a huge worshiper and I said, you know how you're always worshiping? I think you're going to be doing it on Streets of Gold sooner than we planned. And she just responded by saying this, this verse in Romans about how everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then the next couple of days in the hospital, you know, they ask you questions about your name and your, the year it is, and they're checking your mental fitness. And on the day that she died, on a Friday, they asked her that day her name, and they asked her if she knew my name, and she, she couldn't answer it. She didn't know her name, and she didn't know my name. And so I just curled up at the bottom of her hospital bed. She was like four foot 10, so there was lots of room down there. I curled up on the bottom of her bed and I didn't know what to do. My heart was breaking because I realized I was gonna say goodbye to someone that was really important to me. And so I just started to sing what was her favorite praise song. It's a song that we don't have translated in English, but our Lavinia people might know the song. It's a Spanish worship song called Sumer Jame. And I just started to sing to her the first verse of Sumer Jame because it actually just made me feel better. And then I got to the chorus of that song and she sang every word of it with me. And I looked over at Todd and I said, where does worship go inside of us? That when we don't even remember our own name, we don't forget his. I mean, this, this is it. This is, this is the reason we raise a hallelujah. This is the reason that we sing those words, those amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength because it, it sets our mind on things above. It helps us take all those thoughts that shouldn't be there anymore anyway, anyway captive. It renews our thinking and it carries us from wherever we are today until we go home with him in glory. This week I sat down with your senior leaders, your senior directors, and that's how, exactly how we started. I said, what do we know for sure to be true? And here's what they said to me. God will rebuild his church. He restores souls. We can rest in him. God will go before us. He is never surprised. He is still on the throne. God can be trusted. We're still on mission. The work of the kingdom will sit on that truth. He builds the church. He advances the kingdom. We just worship him on our way through there. And you, you know what your part is, Vineyard family. We have a city that's hurting. You know what you need to do? Heap burning coals on their heads. Bring the presence of the Lord into every conversation, to every neighbor, every member of your family, every person you look across the screen to. Bring the presence of God to the city that's hurting. Do small things with great love, and we're gonna watch it change the world. The enemy, he wants to destroy us, 
we won't let him because we know for sure what is true. This, that, that word Hanini, I, um, I was in Israel after I started telling everybody about it and I asked the, the guide I was with, I'm like, hey, I've been telling people about this word. Can you just confirm for me? Like, am I saying it right? Am I teaching it right? And he said, yeah, yeah, you are. He said, but you know, there's some time in the Bible where the Lord says Hanini to you. I said, there's some time in my Bible where he says to me, here I am, whatever it is that you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. I'm like, show me where that is in my Bible. He told me to open up to Isaiah 58. Vineyard family, I encourage you to open up your Bibles or your Bible apps to Isaiah 58. It says this, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set oppressed free and to break every chain? Is it not to do what? What are we gonna do? Share our food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter and a place at your table. When you see someone naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. If we get busy about the business of God's work, if we get busy advancing his kingdom, declaring his name, waving our palm branches, praising him, then what will happen? It says, your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry for help and he will say, Hanani, here I am. Whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. This holy week, let's, let's make the, the song of our heart, the declaration of our mouth be I want swept up in stories of restoration. I want to participate in stories of reconciliation. I want to be a part of redemption and rescue and repair. That is my birthright as a daughter of the king. And I, call on me, Lord. Call on me. My response will be, Hanani, I will say to you, whatever it is you're asking of me, I'm already in agreement of it. Vineyard family, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, it is with authority that we have as co-heirs with your son who this very week demonstrated what that looks like to lay our life down, to sacrifice on behalf of other people, to serve at our own expense. We'll follow you through the narrow gate. We'll believe everything that you write in your word. We'll, we'll set them true in our minds. And it is with this authority, I ask you release an anointing on this body and all who are listening that their households and their children, and their children, and their children experience the blessing of this family. And I pray these things in your holy and precious name, amen. Thanks for joining us at Vineyard Cincinnati Church Online, where for over 30 years, we believe that small things done with great love will change the world. Vineyard Cincinnati is open to everyone, no matter what your thoughts are about God or church. Whether you're new to church or have been around for your whole life, you're in good company with those of us who are exploring who God is or rediscovering what church can be. 
If you've enjoyed the service and want to know more about us, visit VineyardCincinnati.com. We hope you join us again soon. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to VineyardCincinnati.com slash podcast.